0: Have you ever thought to yourself that working from home is a skill? Well, it is, and today we are going to cover four phases to be successful.
1: Welcome to Blair Radio, where every brand can be heard now. The voice behind the mic, James Shannon.
0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 16. Those of you that know me know that I love to give back. Well, today's guest understands how rewarding it is to give back, especially to the community that helped you to get to where you are. Today, he teaches us how to create our ideal customer avatar. And what makes him unique is that he's not selling anything. He just wants to share his message to help others. A part of today's message is that working from home is a skill, and a lot of us are working from home today, so these skills are going to help a lot of you. So, with that being said, let's get into the content. Today's guest is a speaker, mentor, and entrepreneur who has two decades in gaming, investing, banking, athletics, technology. He's done a lot. He has consulted for well-known companies such as AIG, Wells Fargo, and Pokemon, Lucas Root is on a mission to help entrepreneurs and businesses succeed. Welcome to the show, Lucas.
1: Thank you, James. I'm happy to be here. Good morning.
0: Good morning. It's my pleasure to have you here. I know you do a lot of work with startups before we get started. No no pun intended. Um, I want to know, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Good question. Um, I wanted to be a sports player. Um, and I
1: sort of bounced back and forth between the different sports that I was interested in playing, but I wanted to be a sports player.
0: Me too, but uh, I was, <laughs> Oh, I'm too short, so uh, I couldn't do basketball. So I wanted to play football, but it never happened. Now,
1: it was a fun dream. Uh, as I got to to uh, my later years in high school, I started realizing that the people who I was seeing as professional athletes it wasn't a game to them. That's not to say they didn't enjoy their work, but it wasn't a game to them. It was work. And part of the reason why I wanted to be a sports player was because sports are fun. And when I saw that, that sort of made me revise my approach a little bit. I, you know, I was like, I don't want to take these things that I love to do. And I still, I mean, you know, I'm in my late thirties now. I still love to do all the sports that I used to love to do. And, and they're still games and they're still fun. And they never got to the point where they were, you know, a job.
0: You mentioned having fun. Do you enjoy or do you have fun doing what you do now?
1: I love what I do now. I don't often have fun with it, but I do very much enjoy it. And it's been interesting recognizing that those two things are different. That's been part of the process of becoming an adult, I think, is seeing that you can enjoy something without having fun. Um, and that That's OK.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, can you tell us how you got started? I know you started out in Wall Street, right? I did, yeah. It's a little bit strange to say, but the,
1: the career path I had was always the plan, which is awesome. I love seeing a plan come together. I uh, I sat down with a buddy of mine at, at the age of 17 uh, one weekend while we were out skiing over lunch, and uh, he and I both sort of outlined a career path. I mean, it took the entire lunch to come to an, a conclusion on on what we wanted to see and how we wanted to approach it, but we both outlined a career path. And he and I, it's, you know, more than 20 years later, he and I are still very close friends. And he and I both pretty closely followed the path that we outlined, which is awesome. Um, And that for me, that was uh, go to school, get a science degree, launch into the mergers and acquisitions world on Wall Street, specifically because mergers and acquisitions, it seemed to me at the time, and in retrospect, I agree, it was dumb luck that I made these these correct assessments. But in retrospect, they they were luckily correct, I think. In mergers and acquisitions, you have access to and you end up working with hand in hand some of the best business minds potentially in the world when you're working through really challenging problems, you know, typically a merger doesn't happen because both companies are very strong. Typically the merger happens because one company is very strong and the other is going through something quite challenging. Mm. And so me on the implementation side of that, uh, I got to be um, very much, you know, playing with house money on, you know, to use a, a betting analogy, I was playing with house money to solve really complex, really really challenging business problems and doing it with some of the smartest guys out there. And it was amazing. It was a lot of fun. Now, my initial plan was to do 10 years of that and launch myself into uh, consulting. I ended up doing 17 years of that and then launch myself into consulting. I've now been consulting for five years and it's been amazing.
0: Wow. So that was all part of your plan since you were 17 to, to get into that for 10 years and then get into consulting. Yeah, that, that is awesome. And now you work with startups, right?
1: The businesses that I consult for are generally very large brands, very strong brands that are very deeply focused in, in building and maintaining their brand strength. And so in order for them to grow either their distribution or move into new markets or things like that, their strength isn't necessarily distribution or moving into new markets or sales or even uh, marketing. Surprisingly, their strength is building their brand, building their core, building their products. And so they uh, they hire me to help them to expand their whatever it is that they're looking to expand on. Um, some of the time I'm working on uh, manufacturing or supply chain. Some of the time I'm working on distribution. So the the companies that hire me are, are that. But... So I, I've done that for about five years, and and I've got some great relationships and some some long term consulting gigs. So a year and a half ago, I decided that it was time for me to start to sort of give back to the community that it had, has supported me so much, and that's where the startups come in. Startups can't afford consultants, right? They can't right. afford me. And um, you know, I'm not saying this from a from a place of of judgment or derision. I'm I'm saying this from a place of of reality. So. I want to see, personally, me, I want to see startups succeed. And so I started taking on mentorship uh, relationships with startups. So, you know, business leaders that are leading in startups, startups themselves. And so uh, that's where the startup success mentor comes in. And, And that was so fulfilling to me, you know, working with these startups, helping them get past their initial humps, helping them to see things that you know, from an outside perspective might seem a little bit obvious, but when you're in the dirt, um, a lot of times you just don't see these things. So helping them see these and avoid them, things that could be pitfalls that could cause them to fail. It was so rewarding to me that I've expanded that. I'm now working with two VCs and I work with the startups in those VCs, as well as um, I have a couple of different uh, mentorship relationships that I've picked up on the side. And, and this is all pro bono. I'm not getting paid for this. Wow! But from my perspective, all of the businesses that gave me the knowledge and the experience that I have now in my Wall Street days, those were all startups at one point, right? right. All of the businesses that are going to do that for the next generation of somebody like me those are all startups right now and i want to see this cycle continue and i'm willing to invest my time and my experience and expertise into that and that's the you know that's the stuff that's really getting me up in the morning let's say it puts the smile on my face that is
0: so amazing it must feel so rewarding to be able to to give back like that. You mentioned some of the initial humps. What are some of those humps or some of those roadblocks of success that people have?
1: That's a great question. So it's different for every business, but here's an awesome example that happened in one of the the businesses that I'm mentoring just recently. So I'm on the phone with uh with the business leader and I said he said, you know, I could really use some help with my marketing. And I said, cool. Well let's let's talk about marketing. Why don't you tell me what your ideal customer avatar looks like. And so he trotted out, you know, he, he pulled out a couple of different use cases that are built into a marketing message and said, is this what you're looking for? And I said, well, this is good. This is half of what you need. But realize that a use case by itself is not marketing. In order for you to be able to build a marketing platform, you need a use case and a customer. And then you need to apply that use case to that customer. I said, so let me give you an example. And this is the exact example I used with him. I said, imagine you're trying to sell skis. If your ideal customer is somebody the age of four, or if your ideal customer is somebody the age of 85, you're going to have a hard time selling skis. Exactly. Right? Right. It doesn't matter what your use case is. So in order for you to be able to create marketing that works, you first need to know for whom that marketing will be applied. So that's an example of a, a roadblock. I mean, I don't, it, there's no telling how much money he might have spent on, let's say, Facebook ads and, and uh, LinkedIn messaging, trying to target a use case based marketing message that nobody's going to buy into because it's not actually targeted to a person. So I talked him through that and how that might look. And then I pointed out that, look, you know, these are many to many relationships, which means you're eventually going to have a number of more than two, probably ideal customers. And they're going to be well-defined down to the point where your ideal customer has a name that you've given them. Sometimes even hair color and eye color, depending on what it is that you're selling, even details that deep are relevant, right? So you'll have a number of ideal customers. You'll also have a number of use cases. And each time you build a marketing message, it will be by applying one of your use cases to one of your ideal customers. And sometimes those two won't fit, right? And you'll, you'll see that out. You'll see that when you're building it out in your, in your uh, marketing meetings, you'll, you'll be saying this 85-year-old is not going to be buying skis. So let's discard the ideal customer of the 85-year-old. And obviously, that's not universally true. There are 85-year-olds who buy skis, but you understand what I'm saying.
0: Right, exactly. I mean, it's, there are some, but that's not going to be who your ideal customers is going to be, ideally. So you want to market to who who your customers is going to be, not necessarily who, who may buy it, but who's going to buy it more often, right?
1: Yes, that's exactly right.
0: So speaking of roadblocks, do you think right now is a bad time to start a business because of COVID-19? Or can you tell me what impact it will have on businesses and startups?
1: Not at all. Now is a great time to start a business if you're already well-funded and you can afford to wait for your product to really start picking up. And I think those two things are probably reasonably true for something like 30 or 40% of startups. It's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what that number is, but something like 30 to 40% where they have an idea, the product is going to require some development work, it's not a combination of off-the-shelf products that are available today. It's, it's going to require some work. And they're already reasonably well-funded. So now's a great time for that because the development workers, right, the, the factories here in the United States, in many cases, those workers soon, as your idea gets to the point where it's ready to actually start being built and, and going through the prototyping section, those workers are going to be available. And many of them are you know, many of the projects that might have been coming to them have been shelved for now, right? So there's there's an available workforce, and you might be able to shorten your development cycle relative to any other time. However, if you are not well funded, now is probably not a good time
0: to start. So, if you're not well funded and you still want to get, you still want to start your business, what should they be doing now? Should they just be focusing on research or?
1: Yeah, great question. Uh, yes, I would start with research. There's a lot of work that can be done. And in many cases, people do this while they're in the process of developing their products you know, and testing those products against the market. But a lot of this work can be done before you start that development and testing cycle. Build out your ideal customer, build out a business plan so that you have a very clear understanding of the market that you're launching in. Potentially start to build your core team. It's hard to build a core team without money, but I'd like to say... If you can, if you try and you succeed at building that core team without money, you've created a scenario where the people that are working for you are working for you because they truly believe. And this is a great place to be. Those core team members that truly believe in you, in your product, in your service, those are the ones that are going to be. For lack of a better term, they're going to be evangelists of your business when it's appropriate to bring that
0: business to market. So, do you have any tips for anybody that wants to build a core team with
1: without any money? I'd probably put together a a couple of different ads, like maybe a Craigslist ad, and be hundred percent upfront about it. This is a startup; we're not funded, so there isn't currently compensation available. Uh, if you want to be a part of this, consider yourself part of the founding team working for equity or something like that. Will LinkedIn be a good place as well? Yeah, LinkedIn's a great place. My guess is that most of the people that sign on for, you know, for a deal like that are going to be people that are already in your network. Right. Maybe not entirely, but most of them. And and my guess is that for most businesses that started up like that, that was the case.
0: All right, so what about the businesses that have started? They do have some funding and they're going to survive COVID-19, for instance. What would you say to those startups or entrepreneurs who want to grow their business?
1: It's more or less the same thing. You're going to have a hard time interacting with the market right now unless you're selling health-related products, in which case the market has just expanded significantly. But if you're not, uh, you're going to have a hard time interacting with the market right now. That doesn't mean you should pull back. It means that you should refocus, focus on things that are going to make you strategically strong. So. What is it about your business that makes you strong in the marketplace, that attracts your customers, that makes your customers love you so much that they start being your marketing. They tell their friends and their family, right? Right. So focus in on that strength. If you have a team, get your team involved in this because your team, it's the same thing. The more that your team becomes an evangelist, the more that your team becomes enrolled in your vision, the better job that team is going to be at executing your vision, right? Because you don't execute your vision as a leader. It's your team that does it. And so get the the team involved in this strategic work of, of understanding what is the core of your business and how to bring that core to market so that as the market starts to open up, it's not just you driving this thing. It's your entire business. Your entire core team is driving this along with you.
0: Awesome. Now, I know you, you're you a speaker as well. How long have you been speaking?
1: A little bit over a year. And this all came out, as we talked about earlier in the sort of what it is that I do, this all came out of the work that I was doing with mentorship and startups. You know, as I started to see that people were not necessarily seeing these big roadblocks and or they didn't understand that a product plus a customer is not enough to have a business, Right. When you have a product and a customer, yes, you might get some sales, but you're still incredibly vulnerable and you don't even know necessarily where you're vulnerable. The business is an understanding of what makes your product and your offering of that product unique so that the customer will continue to come back to you and only you, so that the customer will sell on your behalf your product to their friends, be an evangelist, right? So in order for it to actually be a business, you have to have a core But it's more than just a product. You have to have a vision. You have to have something that enrolls your customers and your team. And a lot of businesses have great product ideas, but they didn't understand how to build that vision around that product idea so that they could communicate it with their team, their customers, their stakeholders, the marketplace in general, in a way that enrolls their customers, right? And turns that sales machine, which is just product plus customer as a sales machine, turns that sales machine into a real business. And that's when I started speaking because I wanted to share that. I wanted to help other businesses really become successful, really get through the roadblocks of not necessarily seeing how
0: important that is. The two startups that you're working with right now, have you seen any improvement since you've been working with them?
1: Yeah. I'm actually working with three startups and two VCs. The the VCs have a number of start that one of the VCs has 90. The other one has over a hundred. I, sometimes I work with some of their startups individually for a period of time. And often I'll just offer advice across the platform of the VC.
0: So if any other startups out there, they wanted to work with you, how do they go about doing that?
1: Unfortunately, they don't. (laughs) (laughs) I I realize many people that get onto a podcast like this are getting on to sell something. And that makes me a little bit unique in that I don't have anything to sell. I'm sharing because I want to share. I'm sharing because I want other people to succeed. And I'm willing to do the work myself to build my message into something that can be shared, which I've been doing and will continue to do. And then to share it, you know, jump on podcasts like yours and share my message so that any of the entrepreneurs out there that are, in the process of building their business, and are starting to see some of these challenges. Like, I have a product, I have a customer. How do I know that customer is going to come back? Well, I'll tell you how you know. You you build your core vision so that your customer doesn't just buy your product; they become enrolled.
0: Lucas, that was one of my favorite things about you when I was doing my research, and. Um... So I'm like, no, he's not trying to sell anything. It's just nothing that he's trying to offer. He just wants to help. I think we need more people like that that want to help out the small businesses and the startups because everybody's so focused on what I'm offering in it. So I thank you for that because that is it's rare. Well, thank you.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. I mean, when I say that, I really mean it. It is actually my pleasure. I'm, I'm doing this because I love it. I'm doing this because I want to see other people succeed. And I love being a part of that. I'd like to just give a little... A little gift, I think, or at least I think of it as a gift to you and to your listeners. Um, In this time, people are at home, they're working from home, and a lot of people probably are not very used to working from home and maybe don't think of it as a skill. And so I'd like to say, one, I do think of working from home as a skill. Number two, at a very high level, moving very quickly through this, my experience of working from home was four phases. And those four phases were number one, everything is a distraction. Number two, what I call a deep groove phase. You'd think that's a good thing, but trust me, it's not. Number three, an integration phase. And then number four, where it's smooth sailing, right? And I'm sharing this because I want people to recognize that there are phases to successfully working from home and they need to understand how those phases look, how they feel, and work to get through them so that they can get to that smooth sailing. And I'd be happy to talk a little bit more about that if we have more time, but at the very least, I wanted to give you that high level overview, like working from home is a skill and you gotta work through those phases to get to the point where it's smooth sailing.
0: Yeah, definitely. So each phase, so we said distraction, deep groove, um, integration and smooth sailing. The first phase, I agree, everything is a distraction. Whether it's the phone, the TV, being in my home office and seeing the kitchen right there. So can you speak more on the uh, four phases?
1: Yeah, I'm excited we have some time for this.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm on your time.
1: <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> well, let's talk about it then. Cool. <laughs> All right, great. So distraction, it's it's an easy one. Everyone's familiar with this. I don't think I need to dig in too deeply. Right. A um, couple things you can do to strengthen your... Um, let's call it willpower, but it's not so much willpower to strengthen your willpower against the distraction phase. For me, number one, you need to build some routines into your work day. Think about this in terms of the traditional work day. You have a routine in the morning that tells your body and your psyche that you're going to work. And that's, you know, you get up, you shower. If you're a man, you shave. If you're a woman, you put on your makeup. And then you head out the door, you get into your car or the bus or the subway, and you get, you go to work. And if you think about that entire thing as a routine, it tells your psyche that the workday has begun. I find this to be a repeatable scenario when you're at home. It'll be a different routine, but you need to create a routine that works for you, that tells your psyche the workday has begun. So maybe you take that shower some people actually get it get dressed up like they're going to work and it helps them i'm not one of those people but (laughs) yeah yeah but whatever that routine is for you go out for a walk walk the dog um have your coffee read the paper whatever that routine is for you you've got you've got to try out different pieces of what that routine can be do a little bit of research treat this like it's a skill and then implement a routine at the beginning of the day and then do the same thing. In the middle of the day for lunch and at the end of the day because your psyche needs those reminders i'm at work and that will help your body and your mind know that it should not engage in distractions because you've you've done that work to kick off say your work day
0: would you advise that you should only work during like specific hours so let's say even at home you should work eight to five and not work outside of those hours yeah um, yes, I would advise that whatever those work hours are at work,
1: I would recommend that you probably stick to the same work hours when you're home. Don't pick up your work before that because you wouldn't on a normal day, and, and that's confusing to your psyche. Don't work later just because you're not commuting, and you could be, you know, working that extra hour. It's it's not that I don't want you to have that extra productivity. It's more important than that. It's that if you don't follow those routines build them, follow them, treat them like they're the rule, then your psyche doesn't know that you're at work and the distractions come back in.
0: Ooh. Yeah. Cool. Right. I, I need to make some adjustments. All right. Phase two, deep groove.
1: Again, we we're in a, we're in a, in a society right now where we've sort of romanticized the deep groove. I think that's unfortunate. I can't tell you how many times when I was in the phase of deep groove where My workday typically starts earlier um, and finishes earlier. So I'm more like a six to three kind of guy where I might start work at six o'clock in the morning and 2 p.m. rolls around. And I realize that I haven't taken any breaks. So my muscles are creaking when I stand up out of the chair. I haven't drank any water. So I'm severely dehydrated. I haven't gone to the bathroom. So my bladder is screaming at me, but I was in such a deep groove that I didn't notice any of these things. The unfortunate scenario here is that my day ends now at 2 p.m. instead of 3 p.m., number one. So I lose an hour of productivity. But number two, because that is so stressful on my body, the next day I'm, le- I'm liable to let the distractions in, right? So now I haven't just lost one hour on one day. I might have lost five or six hours of productivity, one hour on the first day and four hours on the second day.
0: So how do we make sure that we don't get caught so caught up in our work that we're in a deep groove? Yeah, that's a great question. First, you
1: have to know that it's a possibility and be prepared for that and aware of that. Second, every single person has amazing tools, right? We have the cell phone, we have our computer, and we can build reminders into our cell phone and our computer to say, hey, it's time for you to get up and take a walk. It's time for you to go drink some water. Each person has a different physiological cycle. My personal work cycle is about 60 minutes. So I build 60-minute reminders to say it's time to take a two-minute break, go get some water, go to the bathroom. My wife, she's about a 75-minute person. She can work in a real deep, comfortable groove for 75 minutes. I admire that. That's not me. I have a very, very close friend. He's a 30-minute person. He's no less productive than me, even though his groove length is 30 minutes but he just sets his reminders to say, hey, it's been 30 minutes, it's time to get up, go get a, a bathroom break, do some jumping jacks, get some water. And all day, his, his phone goes off every 30 minutes. Same with me, all day, my phone goes off every 60 minutes.
0: What do you use for the reminders? Is there an app or just an alarm or? Right now,
1: I just use a timer, right? Timer. Mm-hmm. Super simple. Every, every cell phone has a timer. Right. If I wasn't going to use my cell phone, I'd probably build a reminder into say, I use Outlook for email. So I'd probably just build a reminder into Outlook. It takes a little bit of upfront work, right? Because you have to put those on your calendar as repeating reminders. But once you've done the work, Outlook is great because you can build a reminder that repeats infinitely. So once you've done the work, it just is there and it'll just pop up and remind you every however long your cycle is. Mine's 60 minutes. So every 60 minutes, it'll pop up and say, hey, time for a break.
0: Hmm. Awesome. I think I'm going to have to look into that. I use Outlook as well, but I haven't, I don't use anything for a reminder right now, but I definitely need one because I get caught in the deep groove a lot. So phase three integration. Integration.
1: So I mentioned a couple of different things um, in both phases one and two, where you want to play around with these things, right? So Whatever it is that you decide as the, as the routine that kicks off your day and the routine that ends your day, there are lots of different ways to have that happen. My routine doesn't look anything like when I used to go to work. So my, my morning routine now is a combination of some light workout, uh, drinking some water, a little bit of reading and, and some learning and some meditation. And that's been the result of fine tuning in terms of what works for me and what creates the most productive day for me over the last five years since I started this business. And so this integration phase really is about testing the pieces of, of these processes and these tools and systems that are serving you, testing them to see whether or not those systems will work for you. Right. And that, you know, I called it a separate phase because it takes some work to get to the point where you're, let's call it 80% there, or maybe even 90, let's call it 90%, right? It takes some work to get to the point where you're 90% there. Even once you've gotten to the point where not, you know, you're out of phase one, everything is not a distraction anymore. You're out of phase two. There's not really any danger of you getting into deep groove, but you still haven't gotten to this phase four where it's it's super smooth sailing and you, you've you got your your routines and your systems all built out so that you're... You know, one hundred percent sure that every single day is going to be high productivity, and you are going to end the day with energy, right? So that that's sort of this phase three, where you are you are testing out these systems, you are testing out the processes, and and you are you are trying to
0: play around with what works really well for you. Last night, I was up late until like three o'clock in the morning trying to make some arrangements um, here at my house, and then I woke up early, so I only had like two or three hours of sleep. I was in the deep groove last night, and I shouldn't have been. Now I need to figure out how to get to smooth selling. So how do we get there? And can you explain more about phase four?
1: Yeah, phase four is my favorite. I've been in phase four for a while, but I'll tell you, it was not without work. That's why I look at working from home successfully as a skill and not just a thing that, you know, it's not a switch that you turn on because it takes work. It takes effort. It takes building and training in order for you to get there. Phase four for me is pretty involved. And what I'd like to say to your listeners before I dive into what it looks like for me is understand that I got here as a process of implementing small changes over a long period of time. And that's what I would expect of anyone who wants to get here themselves. Phase four for me looks like this. I have my morning routine. It takes an hour. um, And that's a little bit of workout, a light workout, enough to get a sweat, but I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not trying to really strain my muscles. A light meditation session, a little bit of reading and some learning. Uh, I drink water and I drink coffee. Then I start my work day every hour on the hour. I have a two minute break. This is effective for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you load up your brain with stuff for it to do problems to solve things to think about, your brain only has a finite capacity of things that it can be loaded up with. And part of what's really valuable about taking those breaks, is not just the bio part of it, right? Drinking some water, going to the bathroom, making sure you do some jumping jacks. It's also about giving your brain the, co- the time, the freedom in order to start processing through some of those things that you've loaded up. Think about it like a printer queue. You only have paper in your printer when you're not working. The rest of the time, all of the things that you want your brain to do is just sitting in the queue. So you're executing with the paper that you put in for those two minutes before for an hour. And during the time that you're executing, you're also loading up that queue, but you can't release that queue until, again, you take that two-minute break. I know this is a lot to take in. All right. And then twice a day, I take a 20-minute break. So I either go walking, my wife is also home, so I love to go walking with my wife on those 20-minute breaks, or I'll do a little bit of meditation, maybe I'll read. It almost doesn't matter what I do for those twice-a-day 20-minute breaks, but it's really important to give my brain that time to start working through some of the bigger tasks or questions or problems that I've started loading into my brain. I always take a lunch break. I, I typically don't take it at noon. Uh, My high productivity lunch break happens at about 3 p.m. And that's part of the reason why my day ends more or less there from a work perspective. Now, I do other things after my lunch break. I always have two workouts in the day beyond the 20 minute, very light, you know, get your blood flowing workout that I do in the morning. I like to go running and I like to do yoga. Uh, And then once a week I do strength training.
0: Your workday ends around three o'clock and then that's when you take your lunch. And then after that, is that when you do the the yoga and the strength training? So
1: I do the workout before I eat, but it's all part of that break. Oh, OK, gotcha, gotcha. So let's say I do I, I apportion an hour for that time. I'll do I'll do 40 minutes of workout and then I'll sit down and I'll eat for 20 minutes and then I
0: start my afternoon activities. So you work out also when you start your day in the morning around six is when you do a light workout. I start my work at six, so uh, my light
1: workout's at five.
0: Oh, okay. I thought everything that you were doing started at six. Okay, so before you actually start your your actual work, you do your routine at five o'clock, which takes an hour, and then you get into your work at six. Yep. And then that's when you have the reminders every hour to take that two-minute break, and then you take two twenty-minute breaks throughout the day, right? Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that I got it right because I am going to implement this into my life because I think I really need it. And I hope everybody else does, too, because I hear that you need to have a routine a lot and I keep hearing it and I'm not doing it. Hmm. And I have a small routine, like in the morning, how I start my day, but not for the remainder of my day. So this is very, very helpful.
1: I'm glad I could help. Yeah. You know, I've heard a lot of people talk about how you need to have routines, too. Most of them don't tell you what they are.
0: (laughs) Yes. That's why I'm so glad that we're having this part of the conversation as well, because I always wanted to, instead of just telling people what they should do, some people don't know how to do it. You you hear that you need to have a routine, but they don't tell you how you should do your routine or what you should do. And you've covered a lot today. Well, I'm glad I could share it with you guys. I, you know, like I said, I want to see people
1: successful. I want to see I want to see cultures change for the better. I want to see people who want to have jobs and and work for the corporate, you know, structure. I want to see them being able to be as productive as I feel like I am every day. And there are always ways to, let's say, level up, right? There are always ways to improve what you're doing, how you're doing it. And and I'm if those are things that I know, I want to share them. So today, how to work from home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. And so you and your wife both work from home right now. Right now, yes. I mean, everybody works from home right now, right? I mean, I don't mean like, I mean, like going forward, even after all of this is over, will you guys continue to be working from home only or?
1: Nope. Uh, I mean, I will. I've been working from home since I started my consulting and and will continue. But uh, she will not be working from home after all this is over.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. All right, Lucas, uh, I want to thank you so very much. It's been very helpful. And if people do want to know more about you, where can they find you?
1: I'm pretty active on both Instagram and LinkedIn. Um, On Instagram, you can find me at Luke Root, L-U-C-R-O-O-T, all one word, no no dots, no underscores. And then on LinkedIn, just look me up by my name,
0: Lucas Root. Hi, everybody. That is Lucas Root from lucasroot.com. Thank you again so very much and have a good day.
1: It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, James.
0: Thank you, Lucas. And thank you all for listening to episode 16 of Blair Radio Start Your Business and Be Heard. Don't forget to check out Lucas at LucasRoot.com and you see how he loves being a part of the success of others. And let me ask all of you a question. What would you say if I asked you who's your ideal customer? Let me know in the comments. And I want you to build your core vision so that your customers become enrolled. And for those of you working from home, remember the four phases that Lucas gave us today. One, everything is a distraction. Two, being in a deep groove is not a good thing. Three, the integration. And four, we want to get to smooth selling. Check out the Blair slash EP16 to get to the show notes for this episode with Lucas Root from LucasRoot.com. And don't forget to like, share, comment, and be heard. Listening to Blair Radio, where we turn your online whispers
1: into screams. Learn more at theblairgroup.com. Until next time, be heard.